our congregation has connection to an organization, a mission organization called the International Mission Board. The International Mission Board deploys over 3,000 missionaries around the world. And every year, we take up a special offering so that we can help support those 3,000-plus missionaries. And we do it in a creative way. We do an auction. And you've been hearing us talk about that. And we had our Lottie Moon Christmas auction this past Wednesday. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, some of us overpaid for a lot of stuff. But hey, I got 20 pounds of bacon out of this deal. Uh, so I'm pretty happy about that. Well, I'm happy to announce that we collected a total of about $32,000 through the Lottie Moon Christmas auction. And um, in case you missed it, this is money that we give away. Like, we don't keep this money. We don't use this money. We literally give it away to the International Mission Board, and they use it to, to support the 3,200 or so field personnel around the world. We're really happy uh, about that number. In fact, uh, $32,000 is probably about $13,000 more than we have ever collected through the Lottie Moon auction. Is that right, Lee? Uh, so a record, uh, a record last Wednesday. Really happy about that. Uh, also, uh, we've been promoting our Go offering, and you have already given $25,000 to our Go offering. Go offering is a little bit different. Uh, Go offering helps support those of us who want to go on mission, and uh, $25,000 puts us on pace to where we could quite possibly collect uh, a record amount for uh, the Go offering as well. Uh, and while I'm at it, uh, I might as well go ahead and tell you that including the baptism that we had this morning, we've had 53 baptisms this year. Uh, so for, yeah, so for us, you know, for us, that's a lot. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't just sling people towards the baptistry. We have a we have a pretty strenuous process that we go through to make sure that a person understands baptism, that there's born, they're born again. So uh, 53 baptisms for us, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good number. And I just praise the Lord uh, for what he's doing through our church and for what he's doing through you because you're the one doing the giving, you're the one doing the evangelizing, you're the one that are bringing people to be baptized. This is credit uh, to you, those of you who attend church, faithful Stephen Streeters is a, is, is a a, a credit to you and a testimony to how you're living for Jesus. So thank you uh, for that. While I'm at it, I, I do want to tell you before I start my sermon today that I want to take a little bit about a sermon series that I'm going to be starting in two weeks. So December 31st. I know that some people think New Year's Eve. Yes, you don't have plans for New Year's Eve unless it's like at nighttime. Uh, and hopefully they're Christian plans. I know you're going to be here. I know you're going to be around. If you're in town, uh, please come Sunday morning, December 31st. I'm going to start a sermon series entitled Fasting and Feasting. Uh, so it will be fasting from food, feasting on the Word of God. This sermon series is going to be kind of laid down over a 21-day of prayer and fasting in which 21 churches from our uh, from our uh, from Cookville area are participating. Now, there's no magic between 21 days and 21 churches. For some reason, it just worked out that way. Uh, but 21 churches from from the Cookville area 
are participating in this 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. Now, I know some of you, I know that most of us are not going to fast for 21 days in a row, um, but I'm going to be sharing with you during that sermon series some things that the Lord has done in my life over the past year regarding fasting. And my sermon series is not only going to be about fasting, it is also going to be about feasting on the Word of God, and we're going we're gonna to do that as well. So mark your calendar for that two weeks from today, December 31st, a uh, new sermon series. If you're in town, uh, please come and, uh, and be a part of that. Okay, today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. This is one of my favorite Christmas passages. Uh, I've preached and taught through this passage uh, around Christmas time in the past. And it's just, it's just one of my go-to, one of my favorites that I think just has some richness that tells us uh, a lot of things about Christ and his Messiahship and uh, particularly his government. So this sermon series, uh, King Jesus, um, obviously a, a king has a kingdom, a kingdom has a, a king has a rule. We're going to talk about the government of Christ, how he governs us, how he rules his people. Now, it certainly is unique to our faith that we worship a God who came to earth, lived as a man, was born of a virgin, uh, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross. You, you, just, you just don't find that in other religions. Um, even the part of God becoming man and being born of a virgin, you just, you just don't find that. This is, this is exclusive to Christianity as far as what we believe. So this is something that's worthy of us celebrating, uh, celebrating the fact uh, that God took upon flesh around Christmas time. It's certainly appropriate that we designate a season of the year through decoration and singing and whatever else that we want to do to recognize this unique doctrine and teaching about our faith. And um, so this passage from Isaiah chapter 9 is an Old Testament prophecy that foreshadowed the king's coming and also foreshadowed a lot of his governance and, and also and some things about his kingdom and how he would reign over us. So all the way back in the Old Testament, we see this prophecy that we're going to read. And, and this prophecy was given to God's people during a very, very dark time, a very dark season in their, in, in their nation. Now, I know that around Christmas, Christmas time, you know, we put up lights. I, 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 lo I love Christmas lights. I, I don't like necessarily putting them up, uh, but I, I love watching them. Um, but I love Christmas lights. I love driving around and seeing, you know, all the decorations. And, and we talk about the light of Christ around Christmas. Well, there was, a, there was a darkness, a deep darkness in the nation of Judah whenever, uh, whenever this prophecy was given. Basically, there was a marauding army of Assyrians, like the most brutal, the worst, some of the, some of the, the worst army uh, in, 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 ancient, uh, in ancient history, uh, they were at the doorsteps of Jerusalem. They were at the city gates. Very, very dark time for them. Uh, but God gives a prophecy in the midst of that darkness. God gives a prophecy about Christ to his people um, that spoke about the salvation that he was going to give them in that moment but foreshadowed a future in which Jesus was born, and you and I are, are obviously beneficiaries of this. Uh, so let's stand, if you don't mind, uh, and we'll look at Isaiah chapter 9, 
Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7. Uh, I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to look at several more of these verses in this chapter uh, as the sermon progresses, but I, I just really want to focus in on, on these two verses that foreshadow Christ. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. It's an important phrase. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this, this prophecy that we have in Isaiah uh, that tells us about your kingship, that tells us about your governance. I pray, Lord, that you would bring light into the darkness today. I know that there's some people here that are walking in darkness, but I pray, God, that you would help them to see a great light. I pray that you would help them to see the light of Christ. Lord, for some here today, that might be that they see the light of Christ and get saved. Uh, for others of us here today, maybe we're just, we're just in a dark season and we just need your light to shine upon us. And we pray that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So you're going to hear me repeat a phrase. It's kind of a, kind of a theme that goes throughout this sermon. Uh, and, it, and it's simply this, that in dark days, we serve a God that gives us messages of hope. And uh, I, I said in my prayer and probably also in my introduction to this message that, I mean, a lot of us can have some darkness in our life from time to time. Christmas, for a lot of people, can be a time of darkness for various reasons. And I hope that for most of us, and I hope that for a lot of us, that Christmas is a time of, of celebration and joy and a brightness. But for a lot of people, there's, it, it can be a dark season and a dark time for various reasons. Maybe someone lost a loved one, or maybe there's something hard going on in their life, or whatever it might be. Um, but, but the message that we see in this passage is that in the midst of dark days, God has a message of hope. When I think about God's people in this context of the passage we, that we just read, when I, when, I, when I think about Judah and having an army of Assyrians marching towards them and is at their city gates, I can't think of much darker and gloomier for a nation than that. Now, most of you know, you heard me say this last week, I've said it before, that in the Old Testament, God's people split into two nations. You have the nation of Israel. Sometimes we just say Israel to refer to everyone in the Old Testament. But there was the nation of Israel, ten tribes, and then there was the nation of Judah, two tribes. Um, and so at this time of writing, at, at, at Isaiah's day, Basically what had happened is the Assyrians had come through and they had obliterated the nation of Israel. Ten tribes of Israel gone, never to be heard from again. Now you had the Assyrians who had marched into the land of Judah, only two tribes left, marched into the land of Judah, had decimated the countryside and had surrounded the capital city. And for all intents and purposes, it looked like the nation was about to fall. Jerusalem was about to be conquered. I mean, that's, that's a dark day. 
That's a, that's a, that's a gloomy day uh, for Judah. But it was on the brink of destruction. Think about this. It was on the brink of their nation being destroyed that God gives this message of hope. And in Isaiah, and these are the verses leading up to the verses that I read a moment ago, he talks about people who, have in, who were in darkness have seen a great light, who were in deep darkness and light has shone upon them. He talks about joy. He talks about rejoicing and gladness. And the people of Judah at this point, they're probably scratching their heads thinking, what in the world is he saying? These are dark days. There's no joy around us. There's no light. There's no brightness. But what this is, is this is a promise of victory whenever he says that the boot of the trampling warrior and the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood, they're going to be burned up as fuel for the fire. In other words, this army is going to be defeated. This, I'm going, this is basically God saying, I'm going to save you from this army. And God actually did save them from, the, the, uh, from this army. Hezekiah was the king at this time, and Isaiah was prophesying to him. And, he, and Isaiah was like, listen, you got to keep the gates closed. Don't compromise. I'm going to rescue you. And through some circumstances, I don't have time to go into it today, God did rescue them, uh, that ar- the army of the Assyrians, and Sennacherib, who was leading them, was, uh, was pulled back, and, and they went back to their own country, and they ended up getting defeated. But Jerusalem was saved, and God actually did uh, what he promised that he was going to do. But what he said next in this promise of victory must have really had them scratching their heads. And that's the passage that I've already read that talks about what we're just going to call today a Messiah King. In chapter 6, he says, a child is born, a son is given. Now, what's that all about? The army surrounded Jerusalem and they needed rescue and victory. I mean, that probably seemed odd enough, this whole light and joy and gladness. But now Isaiah is telling them about a child. He is pointing to a a son that is going to be born, that is going to be their Savior, their Messiah. And so obviously, in the midst of all of these tragic circumstances... There is a prophecy that points outside of their historical context that was speaking into the historical context of the first century and the time of Jesus and also has something significant to say to us in our historical context. You see, the promise of God's blessing and God's salvation and God's deliverance, if you pay attention to the Old Testament, those promises were always linked to offspring or to a child. Now now hang with me for a moment. Think all the way back to Eve in the garden. They had sinned, and God had pronounced a curse. But what did God say to Eve? He, he, he told Eve, he said, your offspring is going to bruise the head of a serpent, of, of the serpent. That foreshadowed Christ, our Savior. 
Think about, we talked about this last week, think about Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. How did God say that covenant was going to be fulfilled? He said it would be through your offspring. A child would be born to you. And Abraham and Sarah, they really struggled with this. And God eventually gave them a child. But even that foreshadowed something far beyond that child to Jesus. Think about David. Again, we talked about him last week. God made a covenant with David, told him that someone, one of your offspring will always be on the throne. You see, this promise of offspring, this promise of a child that we see in the Old Testament, all of it foreshadowed Jesus. This, this is why we celebrate Christmas. This, this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus, because he was going to be the long-awaited Messiah King that had been prophesied through all of these Old Testament stories and all of these stories that promised offspring and babies and births and all of these things. Jesus would be the culmination of all of those promises. And this one that we're looking at today really points to it strongly. So unto us a child is given. Who's the us? Well, obviously, um, there was something in the historical context of the Scripture that the us was God's people in Scripture. But the us is also, well, it's also us. Jesus has been given as the Messiah, the Savior, the King to you and to me, which means all those promises in the Old Testament of salvation, all those promises of offspring, all of it strictly it comes to bear upon us and finds its fulfillment in Christ. That's why Luke says in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, just like these people in the Old Testament, we sometimes find ourselves in dark days without hope. And just like ancient Israel and Judah, all mankind... All mankind is reeling under the weight and the threat of God's wrath. And make no mistake, the Assyrians who had marched upon Judah, even though they were pagans, they were instruments of God's wrath because of the sin of God's people. All mankind exists under this same threat of the wrath of God because of our sin. But now... We look to Jesus as a deliverer. We look to him, and especially around this Christmas season, as we celebrate this Advent, this coming of Christ, we don't, it's, it's a reminder to us that we don't look to other places for salvation. We don't look to other people or other governments or other institutions or anything in this world to rescue us. Um, we have Jesus, and in the midst of those dark days, God has a message of hope, and that hope is Jesus the Messiah. What kind of king is he? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, even though this was written thousands of years ago, I love this, this was written thousands of years ago, Scripture just tells us what type of king is going to be over us. The kings of the Old Testament, like I said last, like I said last week, 
man, they all, almost all of them were massive failures. Well, this verse tells us the type of king that, and how he is going to govern us. And let me point out something in the text, by the way. The Bible says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Uh, some people look at that as the government of man or a government of man, or perhaps the Roman Empire in the first century was upon his shoulder or was persecuting him. As I look at this carefully, this, to me, the proper way to look at this is that the government or the rulership or the kingship of God's people would be upon his shoulder. In other words, a, a, a word of authority, a symbol of authority that he was going to bear up the responsibility of governing his people and lording, uh, uh, lording uh, uh, over us as our ruler. And as ruler and as governor of our lives, there are certain qualities that describe him. And all the way back in the Old Testament, we see this quartet of names that is given to us that describes how Jesus is going to govern us or how Jesus is going to exercise his authority and his lordship over us. And when we hear those, when we, we hear those words, you know, lordship and governance and king, we often think about, you know, oppression, you know, somebody, you know, being over us and oppressing us and exploiting us. That's not the kind of king that Jesus is. That's not the kind of Lord that he is over us. The Bible says that he's a wonderful counselor, a wonderful counselor, that this would be the type of king that was going to come to us. I think Jesus right out the gate proved that he was going to be a wonderful counselor for us. We have but to look at his teachings in the Gospels. And we have but to read and reread all of the wonderful things that he has said in his word. Words that have touched our hearts. Words that have brought comfort and peace and assurance and joy to God's people for the past 2,000 years. We look at those words in Scripture, those infallible words in Scripture, those words that will never lead us astray. And the only thing that we can do is look and say, that is absolutely wonderful. That his counsel for us is wonderful. We can't say that about the counsel of man. No matter how godly someone might be, no matter how smart or how wise, the wisdom of man almost always will, will fail. Even well-meaning Christians can lead us astray with their counsel. But the counsel that we receive from our king is always perfect, and it will never, ever go wrong in our lives. Do you believe that? Do you believe, do you believe that his word is infallible? Do you believe that the things that God has told us in his word, the things that Jesus has communicated with us through the New Testament, do you believe that they will never, ever lead you to make a mistake? They will never lead you wrong. I, I, I love the fact that everything that Jesus has said to us is infallible. And this includes ways that he continues to counsel you. You see, the, the teaching that and the leadership and the guidance and the comfort that we have from Christ, it didn't just stop with him speaking the words of the New Testament. 
we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us that continues to speak the words of Scripture to us and wake us up to everything that Christ has said. He's still our wonderful counselor. If you face dark days and hard times, I pray that you have listened to the wonderful counsel of your king. He's also a mighty God. It's a great title to describe how he governs us. I'm going to digress from that for just, for just a moment because I, I'm going to talk about that next week. Next week we're going to talk about the divinity of Christ, how he was God in the flesh, how he became man. And so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of skip over that one for today and we'll pick it up next week. But an everlasting father. What type of person do you want to rule your soul? What type of king do you want to have over you? How about an everlasting father to describe how God governs us, that he brings us into his family? Like I talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, he has made us children. He has adopted us into his family. We are children of God. He relates to us in a family type of way, not as this, this distant Lord over us, dominating over us, but no, a father that takes us by the hand, that counsels us, that has strength but yet is kind, a father who will never leave us or forsake us. That's why it says he's our everlasting father. He will never, ever cease to be your father. If you know Jesus as your Savior, your relationship with the Father is absolutely everlasting and it will never, ever fail. He has said that he will never leave you nor forsake you. When you face dark and gloomy days, God has promised that he will always be there with you as an everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. There is no person that has ever lived, that has brought more peace into the lives of people than Jesus Christ. There, now, there's some people in history who have gone to war in the name of Christ. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus personally has done more to bring peace on the earth, peace between people, and peace in the hearts of people than anyone else to ever live. That's why he has the title as the Prince of Peace. In fact, I don't believe that you can really know peace aside from knowing Jesus as Savior. There's, there's certainly no peace to be found in this world. There's nothing but hurry and conflict and, and, and just anxiousness and worry and, and anger, all of the things that destroy peace are easily accessible in this world. It's only whenever we know our King and walk with Him that we have that peace. And in dark days, in your darkest days, Jesus knows how to bring peace into your heart and into your life. Is that, is that the kind of person that you would like to be governed by? Is that the kind of person that you would like to be the captain of your soul? Is that the type of person that you would like to have as king and lord over your life? That is the Jesus that we know personally, and he was prophesied thousands of years ago, all the way back 
in the book of Isaiah. Well, every king needs a kingdom, and this scripture also tells us a little bit about his kingdom. We know more about the kingdom now than the people did back in Isaiah's time as we read through the parables of Jesus, as we look into the New Testament, what the Bible says about the kingdom, as we read the book of Revelation and we look at the consummation of God's kingdom, we know a lot about, a lot more about God's kingdom now than Isaiah did back in his day. But I think it's wonderful, I think it's incredible that even long ago we have these, these, these little seed truths of understanding about God's kingdom and about what it is going to be like. And these latter verses um, of the increase of his government on the throne of David over his kingdom, these latter verses, they were quoted by the angel Gabriel to Mary when she found out that she was with child, even though she was a virgin. And we can we'll probably read them next week at some point um, on Christmas Eve, either, either Sunday morning or, or either through our Advent reading or either through our Christmas Eve service. We'll probably read something in, the, in this, this Luke passage. But these, these, these words were quoted by Gabriel. When he appeared to Mary, when she found out that she was with child. And he spoke some things, Gabriel spoke some things, or really he reiterated some things that Isaiah spoke um, uh, through these verses. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is not true about any current government or about any government that has ever been seen among man on the face of the earth. Every worldly government rises and falls. It gets power and then it loses power. It gains prominence and it loses prominence. This has been true about every, every government of man that has ever been in existence. This is going to be true about every single government of man that is currently in existence, even our current government, the United States of America. Now, I know you don't like to hear that, and this is not a political sermon, but think about the Roman Empire as powerful and as massive of a sprawl as it had on the whole earth and as strong and as powerful as it was, the Roman Empire is long gone. Every top-tier government power eventually lost its power. This is not true and will never be true about our king and about his government. Somebody say amen to that, please. Thank you. His government will always be here. His kingship will always be in place. It is an everlasting kingdom, and it says that it will continue to increase and that his peace will increase and that there will be no into it. Man, sign me up for that kingdom. Sign me up to be a part of that. And he says 
that on the throne of David, now I talked about this last week, I won't, re-go, I won't rehash a lot of that from last week, but on the throne of David and over his kingdom, basically he was going to inherit the kingdom, of, and I, like I said last week, there's no king in Jerusalem. This is a kingdom without borders. This is a kingdom without a localized eternal throne. This is the kingdom that Isaiah prophesied about, that this baby that was born of a virgin was going to inherit, and his kingship was going to embrace this, it's, it's a, this spiritual kingdom, a kingdom that, that's, that's, that's not earthly in nature. A, listen, a kingdom that does not need an earthly government. Do you think Jesus needs an earthly government? in order to exert his power and his kingship on this earth? He does not. He does not need an earthly ruler. He does not need an earthly king. He does, he does, he does not need an established uh, land with borders. His kingdom is so much bigger than that. But do not mistake his kingdom for being something that does not have influence in this world. I encourage you to read some of the parables of Jesus, specifically the ones that are called the parables of the kingdom. And it tells about the influence that the kingdom has. It tells about the state of the, 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 how the kingdom involves certain people now, but one day they'll be separated. It talks about the subjects of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. There's a lot of information we have from Jesus about this kingdom that will never, ever end. But even though it's not an earthly kingdom, it's still a kingdom that exerts its power and authority over you and over me, especially as individuals. Um, And one day, Jesus will return to earth a second time. The Bible says that every eye will see him as he comes in the clouds, and he will establish a literal earthly kingdom for 1,000 years to prove that he has dominion over all, the earthly realm and the spirit. Read about it in Revelation chapter 20. For a 1,000 years, there will be an earthly kingdom in which Jesus will reign, and then his kingdom at the end of that will be completely consummated. You see, we look back to Christmas, and we celebrate the inauguration of the kingdom. But can we really celebrate Christmas without looking forward to the second coming and the consummation of the kingdom? In Christmas, we celebrate the first coming, and, and, but it's a for, it itself also is a foreshadowing of the second coming. And you and I are called to have an emphasis upon this kingdom. We're called to be slaves, servants of this kingdom. We're called to be people who purify ourselves and prepare ourselves to serve this kingdom. And I know that we can't see it on a map and, 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 and things like that, but God's kingdom is real. And if you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you know Jesus, then you also are a part of the kingdom. In fact, Jesus has told you to seek first the kingdom. He, told this, he, he preached this beautiful sermon one time, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And he said, hey, I know some of y'all are worried about, I'm paraphrasing, I know some of you are worried about a lot of things. Don't worry about what you eat or what you drink or what you wear or what you will do tomorrow or what you will put on. He said, hey, look at the ravens. God provides for them. Look at the lilies of the field. The Lord provides for them. He said, seek first the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. That's what your king your gracious, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, king, who is governing, governing your soul, has told you to do. He wants you to seek first that kingdom. And there's, there's several ways that we do that, but the first way that we do it is to become a part of the kingdom and to, and to get saved. But apart from that, we want to seek to be godly. We want to uh, to live and reflect our king as subjects of the kingdom. But we're also called to serve the kingdom. We seek the kingdom by serving the kingdom. When you gave $32,000 to Lottie Moon, that, that, was, that was a gift to the kingdom. That was a gift to, to 3,200 missionaries uh, around, the, around the globe. When you go on mission, when you say hi to your neighbor, when you when you, when you help someone in need, when you share the gospel, when you hold babies in a nursery, when you teach that life group class, when you serve as a deacon, when you do all the things that God has put upon your heart, you're serving the kingdom and you're seeking the kingdom. And I don't know if you're in dark days right now like these people were in the, in the time of Isaiah, but I can promise you there is a light in God's kingdom because of the king who is there and because of the way that he governs and rules us. And in, in dark days, if you're having dark days, I hope that you'll turn to him. And I hope that you'll seek him. And I hope that you'll see past all the decorations and poinsettias and candles and, 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 and Christmas lights and gifts and all the commercialism. I, I hope that you'll see past all of that. And I hope that this Christmas season... I hope, that, I hope that you'll see what Isaiah saw all those thousands of years ago. A Messiah, a king that would govern us. That's something that is worthy of celebration. I want to ask you to stand at this time, if you don't mind. We're just going to take some time to respond to the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray a few prayers. First off, if Jesus is not your Savior, if He's not your Messiah, I want you to ask the Messiah to be your Messiah. I want you to ask, ask Jesus to be your Savior. I want you to call upon His name right now. If you're not a part of the kingdom, and if Jesus is not your king, I want you to ask him to be your king right now. You say, Jesus, I want you to be my Messiah. And I look to you for salvation. If you're going through dark days, say, there's just some darkness in my life right now. I want you to ask God's kingdom and his rule and his reign to come into your life and to bring light and life and peace.
Even, even believers experience dark days. I want you to ask Jesus for his peace. I want you to ask him to be your counselor. Just say, Jesus, I know you are a wonderful counselor. Be my counselor. I want you to acknowledge him as the mighty God. Just say, Jesus, you are the mighty God. You made the mountains and the seas and the hills and the valleys. You are God over all, and I acknowledge you. I want you to pray and thank God or ask God to be your everlasting Father. If you're in dark days right now, I want you to ask, I, I, I want you to claim the Scripture where God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And say, thank you, Jesus, that you've promised to never leave me nor forsake me. I want you to ask the Prince of Peace to give you peace. You may have all sorts of turmoil and conflict and spoiled emotions on the inside of you, but I want you to ask the giver of peace, the Prince of Peace, to fill you with peace right now. Thank you, Jesus, that you're our king. Thank you, Lord, that you have a kingdom. I pray, God, that um, we would just see the light of the gospel this Christmas season. Help us to acknowledge you in all things. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. You can continue praying if you like. If you'd like to come to the altar and pray, certainly you may do that. Afterwards, we'll sing.